The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. Let's just look at this, um, uh, these verses in uh, Luke chapter 7 uh, and verse 11. And I'd really gone to Africa to speak about something else. And the night before we began the leaders' conference out there with Carl and Alison and the Africans, uh, God really drew my attention to this story. And I've never preached on this story. Uh, but since that night, I keep seeing more and more uh, in this little story. And it's a story that many of you will be familiar with, uh, the widow of Nain. So I just want to go through uh, a verse at a time. So um, the first verse, uh, 11 says, now it happened. And uh, like I was saying in the last session, stuff happens when Jesus is around. And uh, John tells us that not everything that Jesus did is written in the Gospels because the whole world couldn't contain the books. So the four Gospel writers have chosen certain things that happened. And they're, they're often very dramatic things because when Jesus was around, stuff happened. And uh, so Luke is going on to the uh, next story here and he said, is, he's, he's saying like something else happened <laughs> and it says the day after the day after what um, uh, the day after the centurion's servant got healed so on one day the centurion's he has this encounter with the centurion and says he's, he's not found such great faith in Israel and heals the servant even though the servant's not there and people who are not here can get healed uh, if you come in expecting I remember um, <laughs> Years ago, we, we'd been out to Africa, and uh, 2,000 people became Christians in seven days, more than that. And uh, we normally get four or 500 if we are intentional about it. So even by our expectations, that was a big mission. And lots of people have got healed. And uh, my, I often have comedy moments in the ministry, and the comedy moment was quite scary. Is a woman who, who was crippled who got healed and threw her stick into the crowd, but it wasn't like a light aluminium NHS crutch. I mean, it was hard wood. And she flung it into this crowd of 2,000. I thought she's going to kill someone. <laughs> anyway, she didn't, as far as I know. Or, if, or you know, if she did, they got raised from the dead. But, uh, and I remember landing at Heathrow and, and saying, Lord, why don't these things happen in Britain? And uh, or why don't we see these miracles in Britain? And very clearly on the plane, almost audibly, I felt God say, well, you'll never see them because you don't expect me to do it in Britain and you never give me time. Ouch. <laughs> and it was absolutely true. I had no defence. I expected those things to happen in Africa and I gave him time. We programmed in the time to pray for 2,000 people. And when, we, when I spoke here, I didn't even always offer a time for prayer. And so there on the plane I repented and I said, well, the next time I'm asked to speak about healing, I'll do two things. One is I'll go expecting and uh, I'll give you time as far as it's in my power. So, so a few weeks later I was asked to speak at an Anglican church in East Anglia, we'll just say that. And, uh, and uh, it, was, uh, it was Church of England Church, bless them, and uh, uh, it was listed as uh, even song uh, with prayer for healing. It, it was uh, late October. I drove up there. It was in a, a Suffolk, Norfolk village on the border there. And uh, I got lost. And it was pouring down with rain, pitch black, before the days that I had a sat nav. I was driving round and round. I had a clue where I was. And faith was diminishing. I had gone expecting. 
And I had gone saying I would give you time, but the more I got lost and the darker it became and the more it rained and the more I thought, it's going to be freezing. It's an Anglican church in the winter. It's going to be freezing. It's so difficult to have faith. So I arrived at the church with not very much faith. And uh, my only hope was that they'd sent me the church magazine and it was listed in the diary as even snog. There'd been a typing error. And... uh, I didn't know what even even snog was, but I thought maybe it would attract a couple of more people just who would come and see what snogging was going on in church. Anyway, um, that was my only hope, really. So I went, and it was freezing cold, and about 30 people there. And uh, I spoke about the men, man let down through the roof. And then I gave God time, and I expected him to do something. And uh, there were two quite striking miracles, but I just want to tell you about one. Uh, one was a lady called Irene, and she'd come because her daughter, a uh, young daughter who was at primary school, had, had become very abusive and aggressive verbally to uh, her and her husband. And uh, they're just beside themselves. They didn't know. They tried everything, and they couldn't uh, change the way she was. She refused to go to school. And so um, as I started praying with Irene, I just felt, you know, when you fall over uh, as an adult, I mean, it's all right when you're seven, isn't it? But uh, I have a habit of it. I don't know what it is. I, I fell over last year in Norwich. And uh, you're not supposed to fall over when you're an adult, certainly one of my age. And I just tripped on the curb, and I thought, I might fall over in this busy shopping street. And uh, I thought, no, I can stop myself falling over. Then I thought, no, I can't stop myself falling over. And what I saw was this lady in pushing a pushchair. It kind of went into slow motion. She was watching me fall over. And I'm looking at her little boy in the pushchair and thinking, I am going to headbutt that lady's son. (laughs) Because I'm flailing about, doing everything I can, and I'm on the trajectory to headbutt this small child. And fortunately for him, at the last moment, his his mum kind of pulled the pushchair out of the way. And then she looked at me as though to say, you drunken old man. (laughs) And she said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm all right, but obviously I wasn't. But there's a moment when you fall down as an adult. I'm speaking as an expert, obviously. When there's just that shock, because as a grown-up, you shouldn't fall over. Do you know what I mean? That, that uh, there's just that sort of adrenaline thing. And uh, as I prayed for Irene, I kind of felt that moment when something like that happens. And I was trying to think what it was. And I, I, so I told her what I've just told you. And um, uh, I said, I think what the Lord's saying is that something's happened to your daughter. And it's really shocked her. And so... Actually, there's a spirit of fear that's come upon her, but it's coming out as aggression. And she's fearful of going to school and fearful of everything in life. And it's coming out as aggressive uh, behaviour and verbal abuse. So I said, I'm going to pray against the spirit of fear. So we we prayed against the spirit of fear. And uh, it was about 8 o'clock. And so she wrote to me later and said, when she got home, her husband said, something funny happened at 8 o'clock. I was trying to get the daughter to go to bed, and she's being very difficult. And then at 8 o'clock, she suddenly just got ready for bed and went to bed very peacefully. And then she was seeing her husband off uh, at the door the next morning, and uh, they heard this little voice behind them, and it just said, Good morning, Mummy and Daddy. And um, it was their daughter in a school uniform, bank pack, ready for school. And she said at that hour, her whole demeanour was changed, and she's been fine ever since then. So... Uh, like the centurion's servant, uh, people don't have to be here if we come in faith. The Bible says, where two agree on earth, it shall be done. So it's the day after something like that happened. And uh, Jesus commends the centurion's faith. 
Uh, and he goes to, into a city called Nain. Now, I just want to look at the details. Going into the city, there's a city called Nain, and he's going into it. I know I'm stating the obvious, but you can miss it if you're not careful. And many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. So there, the day after a big healing, and not only healing of someone in Israel, which would cause joy, but now this Roman occupier, if you imagine like uh, the Nazi Germany had won the war and we were occupied uh, by Nazi Germany, what would that do to the British mentality? And, and the sort of ill will that was felt towards them. And so this Messiah had come and he caused a miracle to happen in this godless generation, although this man himself had faith in God. It was one of the Roman occupiers. It wasn't even someone in Israel. So it's amazing that the kingdom is now not just affecting Israel. It's beginning to go into this uh, godless nation. So I would imagine they're quite happy. I would imagine that's their demeanor. And uh, the Jewish people I know, if you get them too happy, they start singing. (laughs) And uh, there's something that happens when Jewish people start singing. And uh, I just find it very moving personally. So as I look at this, although it doesn't tell us, but it says there was a large crowd, his disciples were with him, and a large crowd, and they were going into Nain, and they were on this mission and healings were happening. And so they may or may not be singing, but their demeanour was a happy one, a joyful one, and many of them were beginning to believe, we know from other places in the Gospel, many were beginning to believe that this was the Messiah, this was the Son of David. People were beginning to say that about him or one of the great prophets, but this guy was different, so there was a joy in these ordinary people that were with Jesus, so I I'm in, think it's implied that there may have been some singing, and they'd be very happy anyway. And then in verse 12, it says, When he came near to the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. So you notice Jesus is going in, and the dead man is coming out, because they always buried the dead outside the city, so they were in the funeral procession going out of the city to bury this man he was being carried out the only son of his mother and she was a widow so clearly this man has died prematurely because his his mum's at his funeral and that shouldn't be and uh, I can tell you from personal experience that is a very unpleasant place to be at your own child's funeral Uh, I've been there it's not good so on top of the grief that you may have at a relative's funeral To be at your own child's funeral, there's a grief upon grief. It's not a good place to be. Uh, And added to that, it also tells us that she was a widow. So her husband has already died. She's already buried her husband. And now something she didn't think she would ever do. She's going to the funeral of her own son. So I want you to picture that the, the joyful procession of Jesus, full of anointing and joy, that the kingdom is coming is going this way into Nain and they suddenly come up on this funeral procession coming out and it also says that uh, uh, he was was carried out a dead man, uh, the only son of his mother and she was a widow and a large crowd from the city was with her so there's a large crowd another large crowd but this crowd is full of grief this crowd is probably weeping and it's full of grief And it's like a a train crash about to happen between the kingdom of God and the grief. And which will overwhelm the other? Will the grief of the funeral overwhelm the joy of the Jesus procession? Or will Jesus overcome the grief uh, of the funeral procession? And Jesus, and this is something we need to know about in healing, that Jesus often does the unexpected thing. 
because even in our little town of Stowmarket, and, and like a lot of Britain, there's not a lot of respect for the things that used to be respectful. But you see, especially the old boys sometimes, if they see a hearse going up to the, our cemetery, they will stop and they'll take off their hat and just let the hearse go past. The, and that tends to be the attitude of people who observe a funeral, even if they're not attending the funeral. There's a quiet respect. And if you go to any cemetery and you see people laying flowers on the cemetery, uh, they tend to whisper. So that's the attitude that we have around the funeral. Uh, and we whisper in the cemetery, although whether that's because we think we might wake up the residents, I don't know. But, but it's something that we do, isn't it? It is something that happens the world over. People speak quietly in a cemetery. And when a funeral comes past, people tend to step to one side and give it preeminence. But Jesus does something different. He steps into the path of the funeral procession. Imagine the next time you see a hearse going up to the cemetery and some man steps in front of the hearse to stop the funeral. I mean, that is going to ruffle a few feathers, isn't it? And he often does things. The whole issue in John 4 of speaking to a foreign woman, not only speaking to a woman he didn't know, but a foreign woman, a Samaritan woman. It just wasn't the done thing. That's why his disciples were disturbed but he was constantly contradicting what just normally happened. And uh, even when he went to visit his friend in the cemetery, Lazarus, in another story, uh, again, people were in the cemetery and probably whispering. But Jesus begins shouting. Shouting is not what you do in the cemetery. So you can imagine people are laying flowers or or remembering their ancestors, they're there in the cemetery doing what you do in a cemetery. And suddenly, from somewhere over there, they hear this man shouting, Lazarus! See, some of you are disturbed that I've shouted in this place. But imagine if you're in the cemetery, and you hear a man shouting. And you must think, Jesus, don't shout in the cemetery. It's not the done thing. And he had to call his name, because if he didn't call his name, every dead person in the cemetery would have been. <laughs> But he called Lazarus, his friend, and he, a dead man, four days dead, walked out of the grave. He contradicted the norm. And so we need to be ready for God to do his thing. And he might do something different to what we're used to. And he steps in front of the funeral. Now, did this woman have faith? All the things I taught you in the last session about finding the scriptures, speaking uh, that those things which are not as though they are, believing that you can move a mountain. Was this woman coming out of that place full of faith? She wasn't. She was in grief. She had no faith. The only thing she had faith for was we were going to bury another dead member of the family. That was the only certainty she had. She was confident in that. There was no faith in this woman whatsoever. But sometimes Jesus does something to get our attention. So when you see someone getting healed who didn't have faith and you think, well, how did that happen? Well, it may be just God's trying to get their attention and he chooses that way of getting their attention. And he comes and he, uh, he, it says that he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Jesus has compassion and if we're struggling with, uh, with getting a breakthrough in healing, we may sometimes feel on a, a bad day that God doesn't care, but I can tell you he does care. He has compassion because Jesus had compassion on this woman and he said he has seen me has seen the father and then he came and touched the open coffin 
And those who carried, uh, carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And what it strikes me here in this story is that I see many dead people in churches. I don't mean I'm a spiritualist. But there are some people, they have their breakfast, they go to work, they drive the car, they walk about, they come to church, but they're dead. They had a plan or a vision for their life. They had a dream one day, but as the years have gone on and that dream has not come about, it's died. And their whole hope for their future and their life has died within them. And uh, you can see it in the story of Zechariah when uh, Elizabeth is about to become present, uh, pregnant with, with, um, uh, with John the Baptist. And you can imagine that childless couple must have prayed when they were a young married couple, Lord, give us a baby. And the angel appears and, uh, and says to Zachariah, you, you know, Elizabeth's going to be pregnant. And there's a resistance. He's like, no, we're too old. And, uh, you know. But he prayed the prayer. And it may be a long time coming, but it came. And there's this argument. And so the angel, I mean, seeing an angel should be enough. So the angel has to said, I'm Gabriel. I'm not just any angel. I'm paraphrasing that. I stand in the presence of God. I'm not just a common garden angel. And I'm telling you, Elizabeth's pregnant. And he probably had just died in that hope that he would ever have a son. And I think many of us, it's been a long time and our dreams have faded and now we only have memories of disappointments. And if our memories of disappointments are bigger than our dreams and our hopes, it's like we're dead inside. And Jesus comes and says to us, young man, young woman, arise. I said to Brian when he came in, there's young Brian. And he said, you need to get your glasses cleaned. He is young Brian in God's sight. He's not as old as God. God's a lot older. And so he says, young man, young woman, rise up. And God is calling us to rise up in faith, rise up for the dreams that we had for our life, rise up to be the people that we're called to be. And uh, he will contradict anything that comes in the way. Uh, and uh, then in verse 15, so... He was dead, sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. And then the fear came upon all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people. And God comes to bring the kingdom through the supernatural miracles uh, that people may know that God is visiting his people. And there are various places in the Bible uh, where God visits his people. And I'll just close with this. Uh, just this one phrase right from the end of Genesis as Joseph uh, of Egypt is dying and you'll know his story about how he was betrayed by his brothers and he becomes, uh, he goes from prison to prime minister on a single day and uh, at the end of his life he's dying and uh, in Genesis 50 in verse 24 he calls his brothers to him and he says this, he says I'm dying but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from his children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you'll carry my bones up from here. And I think God wants to visit his people. You go to some churches and you can be forgiven for thinking that Nicodemus, that Jesus said to Nicodemus that you must be bored again. And, uh, <laughs> and we, we, we should become expecting. When I was a little boy, I used to love Stingray. And at the beginning of Stingray, there were all these explosions and Stingray the submarine went under the water and torpedoes came out and security buildings 
uh, went into the ground for protection. There was all this music, and then this voice said, anything can happen in the next half hour. And I think that should be above every church door in the land. <laughs> anything can happen in the next half hour, because Jesus is coming with his kingdom. The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world.